Hey everyone, I'm Robbie Cornthwaite. I'm Daniel Mullen. I'm Angelo Costanza. I'm Marco Fleury. I'm Marcelo Garuska. I'm Ian Fife. This is Cassio, and you're watching. 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 And you are watching Pure Bread Reds, Adelaide United Fan TV. Hello there and welcome to the Pure Red Reds, Adelaide United Fan TV. We're coming to you from the studio in a Zoom chat today as we preview the resumption of the A-League, joined by a very special guest indeed who played two and a half seasons at the club, 28 games across the A-League as well as running out for us in the FFA Cup and AFC Champions League between 2016 and January of last year. He's now the captain of Selangor in Malaysia. Taylor Regan, it's an absolute privilege to have you on the show, mate. How are you doing? Yeah. I'm good, mate. Thanks for having me and happy to come on here and stir up a bit of controversy, no doubt. Knowing, knowing what me, you'll probably ask difficult questions that I feel obliged to answer, so let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I love hearing that, mate. Um, now, look, uh, it is unfortunately the new normal these days and uh, what I've been doing with every guest recently is asking them how the coronavirus has affected them professionally and personally, if you want to go into that as well. So, um, obviously, you are in Malaysia, as we touched on, and... Uh, I believe Kuala Lumpur, given it's uh, sort of uh, the gateway into Southeast Asia, the airport there was a bit of an issue when the whole thing broke out. So uh, I, I dare say you saw the worst of some things when uh, coronavirus became a thing. Yeah, look, it obviously it affected the whole world. Um, you know, we played we played the first three rounds of our competition um, in front of you know I think an average of about 27 to 28,000 people were at our first three games and then all of a sudden we played one game behind closed doors um, that was an away game we landed back in Kuala Lumpur um, by the time we got home we were told starting tomorrow we were locked down and I did not leave my hotel complex for 12 weeks uh, the wife went every couple of days to get the essentials from the grocery store but I was stuck inside with the two boys and stuff and, and it was tough um, We've, we've taken a pay cut um, as well. Our team negotiated with our club and we, we've taken a three-month uh, salary dedu- reduction. Um, so at a personal level, you know, it's always a little bit, you know, it's always a sour taste in your mouth when you've got to give up money. But reality is everyone's affected and you've got to do your bit for the club. So we've done that. Uh, we've just resumed training and we'll start in about six, seven weeks or so. We'll resume the league um, again free scheduling we'll only play every team one time and then the league uh, one of the cup competitions has been cancelled the other cup competitions been uh, changed the format so yeah i guess coronavirus has hit hard and but you know at the end of the day health's more important than football as much as sometimes we <laughs> we don't like to admit that yeah for sure so i mean 12 weeks in isolation that's a very hard isolation i mean how did it affect you did it affect you much at all yeah, I, mean, I was I was running in the basement car park every two days to try oh and keep goodness. cardio up. Um, my my gym session was my three year old doing my head in. I I used to hang him out the window like Michael Jackson, hung the kid over the balcony. That was that was my gym session. No, I'm joking. Um, yeah, look, it was it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy, but but again, you know, you, you hear the horror stories and you see what you know because we're over here. I've got Spanish boy in my team and I've got Italian friends, and you see what was happening in those countries and. To freak you out, you know, especially with a young family. Um, so there was probably the option to go back to Australia, but again, 
You know, it's, it's easier to lock down with a family here who are happy and healthy um, than go back and potentially give it to grandparents or somebody that would be vulnerable. So we shut up shop and we stayed inside for 12 weeks. So, yeah. For sure, mate. No, it's, it's good to see that you're all safe and well too. Um, just We're going to get back to this, but just to contextualise us a little bit with what's gone on with you since leaving the club and going to Malaysia. Um, just tell us yeah. how it's all unfolded with your club selling all you are now, the captain as of, I believe, early this year that you were appointed. Um, but but since you left in uh, January 2019, um, how's it all gone for you there? And um, I guess kind of uh, sort of break down how the Malaysian league runs a little bit because uh, it's probably not one of those leagues that a whole lot of Aussies watch. Yeah, look, I came to Malaysia in 2016, so I knew about it. I, I After the Newcastle Jets, I, I didn't have um, any options, really. Um, I had a couple of things, but like financially, they weren't great. So I came to Malaysia at the time with Joel Kianese, uh, Andrew Naboo, Alex Smith, and an Australian coach, Gary Phillips. So I knew about Malaysian football, and Selangor was one of the bigger clubs. Um, so after I went back to Adelaide and I spent, you know, two and a half, probably the most enjoyable time of my career, to be honest. I love Adelaide. I still love it. I miss that place. Um, but Selangor uh, came in and made an offer. No, they contacted me first. I'm going to tell this story. This is, this is, this is okay. exciting. And it's probably exciting for Adelaide fans now as well because he's back. But um, we played against Wellington and we won 3-1. And uh, I got a phone call from an agent and also the head coach of Selangor and they said, oh, we watched the game. Um, you know, we, we, you, team one, you played very well. We'd, we want you to come back to Malaysia. Would you be interested to come to Selangor? And, you know, and they spoke a little bit about the figures, and I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, of course. You know, I, I have to go for my family. I'm not, I'm not young. I, I need to do this. Um, so they said, look, I'll get all the management. will be watching against Brisbane Raw on Friday night at home. Play well. So it was all going well. We we're two one up and playing well and. And this little fella comes on the field and he starts yelling, break his legs about his ears and he's running in and pushing and shoving Stephen Moore. And um, so anyway, I've... I remember this clearly. I remember what happened. Yeah, I I don't know. He was saying something. I couldn't get hold of him. And (laughs) for whatever reason, my fingers ended up around his face and um, I got a red card. So I still remember, you know, what I sent off. And um, sure enough, I finished the game and I had about, 40 messages, I reckon. 35 were from all my mates saying you should have smashed him, you know, blah, blah, blah. Five, the other five were from people in Malaysia saying, you idiot, you've ruined the deal, blah, blah, blah. So it turned <laughs> out, Selangor pulled the offer off the table. Um, they got a Korean trialist came, um, an Iranian. You know, they, they had a like an Asian spot for a central defender and they tried a few players and it didn't work out. And then, the coach rang me and said, look, one more chance. Are you playing? And I said, yeah, actually, funny enough, Marco Kerr doesn't like me, but I'm playing against Newcastle <laughs> on the weekend. Um, and I played and we, we won 1-0, I think. Um, me mate Bogues gave away a penalty or something like that. But anyway, we won. And, uh, and you know, it looked quite good. And so, I yeah, I took up the offer into Langor. Um, so that's that little story how I ended up here. Um, but then, yeah, I... I arrived over here uh, at the club with rich history. Um, you know, we play in a stadium that holds 80,000 people. Um, last year, we I think our biggest attendance was about 73,000. Um, you know, it's a big club, big fans, um, rich history. It, it hasn't been 
successful few years for the club, um, but slowly they're building. New management's come in and take ownership, and and it's a really exciting place to be at the moment. Uh, we've got a good squad, a good group of guys, and yeah, I guess last year I captained the side a few times, um, and this year uh, the player that was the captain last year moved on, so it was, yeah, I naturally stepped into the role. So it uh, looks good on my CV, um, and it's an honour to captain a big club. It's brilliant, mate, and what a story as well. Um, we are just going to uh, change gears for a second. We're going to preview the game. Uh, it's not going to be a huge preview because uh, it's been such a weird time, obviously, and it's been three months since the ball was last kicked. But uh, we're just going to touch on a few uh, things relating to the club at the moment. Taylor Regan, I just want to get your opinion on a few things, and then we'll go back to yep. uh, learning about the man behind the player. Uh, as well as uh, going more in depth about your playing career as well. So uh, it's finally back. Our season officially resumes this Sunday night at 7pm against Brisbane Raw at Seabus Stadium in the Gold Coast. Uh, now, Riggs, both clubs with interim managers due to coronavirus, uh, as things yep. look completely different to how they did pre-COVID in the league. Um, now, I want to ask you, is it fair to suggest that given the rule of playing a reliable winning brand of football under Fowler, whilst we were severely struggling under under the bake. Uh, is it fair to suggest that Brisbane are the worst affected club as a result of COVID? What do you reckon? Um, you mean out of the two clubs? or you Yeah, mean out of Brisbane and Adelaide, yeah. Yeah, look, I, I, in all honesty, I, I, I think Adelaide will make the finals and I think they'll comfortably walk into the finals. Um, you know, I, I talked to the boys, um, as we spoke about before we started recording this, and... The boys like Carl Veer. Um, the boys didn't like Mubeek. I don't care what they say. They can say what they want in the media and whatever. They didn't like him. You know, Getting all the scoops here, Riggs. Um, this is amazing. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll give it, mate. You know, that he he talked down on Australian football, you know, and, and he made them out to feel uneducated and things like that. And, and at the end of the day, at a professional level, there's only so much you can learn. You know, you can learn, but you can't. You can't recreate things that they've learnt and played their whole childhood. So he was trying to change people and things, and, and it exposed people. You know, I, I remember I went and watched the final when they won the cup, and they absolutely no, not the final when they won the cup. It was a couple of weeks later, and they played um, Melbourne Victory at home, yep. and they and they killed Victory, absolutely killed them. And I was like, wow, this thing, you know, Roland Greek, what a player, you know, and everyone just looked brilliant, and I was like. You know, they, they could really do something here. And then all of a sudden, they started going downhill. And I think under uh, Carl Viet, they're, they're going to be fresh. They're, they're going to be happy. Um, and on paper, they've got a good side. I think I think Brisbane, you know, I haven't read too much about Brisbane, to be honest. I, I follow Adelaide. I follow Newcastle. What's happening with yeah. the squad? What's happening with the club? Um, so Fowler and his assistant both aren't coming back. And it's going to be Darren yeah. Davies again taking over. Yeah, again, you know, you've still got... They'll have motivation. They'll probably follow. They, I, I wouldn't imagine Darren Davies will change too much. But if Adelaide play well, Adelaide will win. But but again, you know, it, it's always tough. I know Brisbane have got that sort of English mentality this season under Fowler and all their foreigners have come from that, from the UK or in and around that area. And, yeah, I think they're, they're quite steely. You know, they're pretty strong. That the captain, the back Aldred is is a tough lad. Mm. Um, they're a good side, but but I think if Adelaide play well, if Ryland McGree fires, if Christian Osbert plays well, you know, and again, I watched I watched him live against Victory, and when he sent me, you know, he, I know he might have copped a bit of slack for not scoring many. I think he's brilliant. I yeah. think he's unreal. Um, so I think if they play well and fire, 
uh, Adelaide will win the game. We love the sound of that, Riggs. Uh, now, as a former fan favourite centre-half, have you been surprised how poor we've been defensively this season? And will our woes at the back continue to be a headache for Carl Beer, Or is it possible for a rookie manager to fix all those issues in the space of three months when there's been no competitive matches? What are your thoughts on that? No, you'll see a completely different um, defensive shape. Um, I spoke to not just Adelaide boys, I also spoke to... And the, again, this is I, I don't even know um, this from a bake, so it's not like I haven't been better out against him. But yeah. I've spoken with players um, that he coached in Germany and also, I think it was in Germany, he had him, James Holland. Um, yep. And also Q Yalins, former captain of mine at um, Newcastle Jets. You would have played him with at him, yeah. yeah, so I knew Q very well. He lives around the corner from me in Newcastle. And he said that they had the same issue when he was at AZ Alkmaar with Verbeek. Verbeek wants this style where you, you are accountable for your man. So you're man for man. So, you know, it, it's difficult because I see Elsie and Jakobsen are getting drawn out of position, you know, and it might look like it's their fault and they're getting exposed at the back. And, and sometimes, you know, sometimes as a centre-back, you have to do that. But but what the coach asks you is what you have to do at the end of the day or you won't play. So he's asking them to do things that they're not accustomed to or they're not used to. And, and I think that's why the back line cop goals. Uh, I think... You know, look at Elsie and Jakobsen in the season before, you know. So they'll be fine. You know, they'll, they'll shore that up. Um, Strain, Maroney, kiddo at left back. Um, you know, Verbeek's little whipping boy, Maria's gone home with him. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think they'll be fine. I think, I really think they'll shore that up and, and they'll, they'll, be, they'll be fine. You know, Riggs, it's, it's not often I speak to former players and, they, and they're so knowledgeable about what's happening at the club still. So I'm really, really impressed. It's great to see that uh, you're still so in touch with what's going on here in Adelaide. And I know you said you loved being here, but um, like I said, it's not often former players keep such close tabs on the club. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a breath of fresh air to, to hear you speak so eloquently, mate. Um, now, James Tracy... I'm going to be hated by some people, you know, <laughs> I dare say that. Some people are going to read this and think, or listen to this and think, geez, isn't he a bitter old guy? But I'm no not way, mate. <laughs> this is all hot off the press. Um, now, I want to ask you about yeah, James Tracy. I'm sure uh, you're, you're very familiar with him. Uh, he's gone for the rest of the season. Um yeah. How much of a setback is it for us? Because he was a weird one in the sense that uh, I just don't feel like he really had a defined role in that in that midfield triangle. Um, obviously, it's hard with uh, Louis Dorigo, um, you know, playing so well, and so it becomes an issue out of you know who who do you drop in that midfield. But um, yeah, tracy has gone for four weeks. Uh, is this uh, going to be definitive in what happens between now and the end of the season, Bradley? Oh, Troisi, Troisi has that that brilliance, you know. I, I think definitive, maybe not, um, you know, because I, I don't think any one player in the Adelaide team is is going to define the entire season. Um, but he's a massive loss. He, he's quality. He just has that little bit of brilliance, that little bit of composure and class in the front third to pick that pass. He played a different role at United. Um, I think compared to what we've seen at Victory, we saw him a lot more on the ball deeper and playing more long diagonal passes. I think he, he probably, I would have liked to have seen him a bit further forward. Um, but I, but again, I guess that's a little bit up to, you have to go down and help Dorigo too. You know, he's only a kid. Um, but at the same time, what a, what a kid he is. Um, you know, he's, he's one for the future if we, if the club can hold on to him. Um, but yeah, look, um, 
yeah, it's a massive loss to lose James Troisi. I think any club in Australia would be silly not to, you know, say that they they would miss a player of his quality. But but I think with Riley, Dorigo and, and you know, even George Blackwood and players like this, they can play in the middle. I'd like to see Lachlan Brook get more of a go. I think young Lockie Brooks is a good player. Mm-hmm. Um, a very, very good player. I actually, this is how bored I was during uh, the last week of um, lockdown. I streamed, well, not bored. I streamed the uh, NPL game against Cumberland and okay, yep. uh, the United youth team. I only watched the first half and, and Lachlan Brook was a different level. Absolutely different level. So I'd like to see him get a chance. But you now anything's possible. Uh, but James Rowe is a big loss. Yeah, no questions about it, Riggs. Um, so there's been an absolute myriad of issues engulfing the Australian game since you returned for your second Malaysian stint, um, including the TV deal with Fox Sports, frustrations with a salary cap, summer or winter, um, the exodus of coaches. Uh, we're, in a, we're in a strange sort of place here in Australia at the moment. Uh, looking at it from afar, what do you make of it all? I think it's just the tip of the iceberg, really. I think Australian football needs a facelift. I think everyone knows that. But but to step into the own unknown is dangerous again, you know, with what happened in with the NSL and things like that. And yeah. FFA, they've done well. Like, they've done well to set up the A-League, to get it rolling, to to create clubs like Melbourne Victory and Sydney FC and Adelaide United and create these sustainable clubs with good fan bases and things like that. But but it's time to let go, I think. I honestly believe FFA needs it needs to become um, privatised independently. Clubs need to be need to have ownership for what they do. You know, I remember years and years ago, I think it was BMW or something like that wanted to sponsor Sydney FC for millions of dollars to be on the front of their jersey, but they can't do it because um, oh, sorry, we have Hyundai as a naming rights. Now, okay, I understand that, but contractually, how well have Hyundai done to to block out all other competition? You know, you're, you're just holding the competition back. So it needs to become privatised. It needs to become independent, but it's not easy just to do that because if there's no salary cap, the golf potentially gets bigger um, from the top to the bottom. And Central Coast can't be at the, continue to be at the bottom because... Why, you know, until they spend money, they're not going to get out of there. And right now, Charles Worth isn't spending and he doesn't have the money to spend. Um, and even Adelaide, you know, who owns Adelaide? I, I don't really know. Yeah. So, so that's issue, a scary yeah. thing too. Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, if, if that again becomes privatized, does Adelaide have the money to, to be where it deserves to be? Um, and then, then there's all the, there's the whole, you know, the money comes from Foxtel, which means, the FFA and all that put a big emphasis on TV, but as players, personally, we don't care about TV. We want full stadiums, you know, and same with the fans. So, you know, you talk with Johan Absalonson, he came from a club that had like 4,000 capacity stadium in Denmark, you know, like, but they were paid good and it was a good atmosphere and they played in Europa. Like, so, you know, it's about boutique stadiums. It's about... You know, to be out creating that atmosphere. Um, Cooper Stadium has it. Melbourne Victory have it at Amy Park. Um, not many other places have it, to be honest. You know, Perth, maybe when they're doing well, have it. Um, Newcastle, again, when they're doing really well, have it. But but no one else does. And, and you need to create that atmosphere. So they need to get away from TV money being the controlling factor within the league. We want to build passion. I would love to see ethnicity, you know, 
Adelaide City, South Melbourne. I understand the reasons behind all that, but that's that's football. That's culture. That's that's where it needs to be, and it's not. So there's a long way to go, and there's plenty of things to do. But yeah, look, I'm doing a business degree. Probably a couple more years, I'll come in and I'll ship everyone out. Now you're going to be the white knight, Riggs. <laughs> now I, I think yeah. in all honesty, a lot of people are going to echo those comments that you've just made. Um, as you say, so much work to do. But uh, just back to the game. So Adelaide's your tip. Yeah, Adelaide's my team, for sure. No worries, Riggs. Uh, well, that does us for the preview. Uh, we're going to go into your biographical interview now, which has been an extremely stellar career that you've had, starting at your hometown team, the Newcastle Jets, where you're regarded as a favourite son, spent uh, a good five seasons there. What are your best memories from playing in the Hunter Riggs? Um, just being home, you know, I, I... I look back now, I probably took it for granted, um, you know, in terms of like the professionalism that I looked after myself and things like that. You know, I was, you know, I was with the boys, you know, I was carrying on at the pub. I was, you know, I was, I was just a local boy buzzing to play for my hometown. You know, if I could go back, I probably would have taken things a bit more serious. Um, it wasn't until a bloke from Adelaide come in stubborn and kicked me out of the joint. So anyway, um, look, I, yeah, I, Newcastle's home. So for me, it was always it was always a big honour to pull on that badge in front of friends and family and things like that. And, and yeah, it, it was I wore the armband a few times and that again that was special moments for me. Um, you know, you play the exhibition matches against your David Be- like the LA Galaxy and those things. No, there was plenty of things, um, but overall, it was just the fact that your parents and your family can be there and can see you play. That that's the most important thing for me. Fair enough, Reeks. Um, so you moved to Negeti Sembilan in Malaysia uh, in 2016. Yeah, terrible pronunciation, but we'll run with it. Yeah. <laughs> well, please, please, uh, please uh, edit no, no. How do you, you say? You did it? well. You did well. Okay. Negri. But yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. However you want to say, mate. No, one hundred percent. I'm sure I've completely uh, fluffed it. But uh, anyway, you, you did go to Malaysia. You enjoyed a very successful period there. Um, like we touched on at the start of the interview, interview, um, it must have been very different to country life in New South Wales. Yeah, definitely. Um, no, it, it all kind of it happened at a weird time. I, I, I had a three-year deal at the Jets on the table that I was about to sign. Um, you know, going to stay there, happy days. You know, Bogard was coming back. Dan Mullen uh, was going to be the three of us, sort of fight for the two spots and everything like that. And then last minute... Um, the deal was pulled off the table and, and I didn't have any options. I went six months without a salary. Um, I had two mortgages in Newcastle. I had a fiance that I was due to marry in a month and a half. I'd booked a honeymoon for, you know, to travel and, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars and all this. And all of a sudden it was like, you know, I had savings, but that's going to get disappear quickly. So yeah. I spent six months. Out of the six months where I didn't earn a salary, I honestly don't think I touched a bulk of five. Um, all I did was was box. I was boxing a lot, um, keeping fit in the gym, um, pretty close to, yeah, not not throwing the towel. You know, I, I always wanted to keep playing, but it, I needed to pay. You know, I needed to support the family or the family that was potentially going to grow. So I, I I got a phone call from um, Tony Rallis at the time um, and Scott Orenshaw, a former um, soccer uh, who lives in Malaysia, and they said, look, we're bringing Gary Phillips over. As a coach, and he'd like you to come, but you've got a trial. I was like, 
yeah, right. So I flew over and played a game, and yeah, sure enough, I signed. Um, but I was very lucky because we signed. Uh, we like I said earlier, uh, there was four Australians in the team. You, you could have four foreigners, and all four of us were Australians. All four of us had a partner. Um, it was like a little holiday. That's you know, perfect but, for you. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah, it was really good. Um, it was a, it was a not overly westernised area where we lived. Uh, there was a few cafes and things like that, a few bars, some nice like country club where we'd hang by the pool and things like that. Um, but but it was good. It was a bit different, but it was enjoyable at the same time. Um, and we were doing really well. We were we we're in the second division actually, and we were about to get promoted. Well, half season we were second, and politics in. Southeast Asia. So the money man of the club wanted to change. He didn't like what he saw in the front third and he sacked Andrew Nabu and sacked Joel Kianese when we were second. Uh, and Nabu went to the Jets and we all know what happened after that. And mm. Kianese went to Perth and, and he's killing it as well. Um, yes. And then we bought in little Enrique. <laughs> and uh, This is coming so full also, circle. <laughs> Yeah, it was really funny how it all worked. So we bought in Enrique and we bought in a French-Serbian boy um, in the front third. And and the, it's not overly professional at that club. Um, you know, money was on time and things like that, but the professionalism wasn't great. So Enrique had come from Brisbane, a lot of success. Um, you know, that tight group, Matt Mackay, Barisha, they'd been together for so long. He was so comfortable to come into Southeast Asia where, okay, you get paid, but... You know, you're getting changed on the bottom of your car at this club. You know, you Far out. the facilities weren't great. You know, it was it was no different to like an MPL, yeah. I dare say, you know, facility. But but then you play in front of a big crowd and things like that. So Enrique kind of lost his marbles pretty quick, and before you knew it, he was out of there to Adelaide. Yeah. Um, who, funnily enough, came on preseason in Malaysia. Yeah, we did. So That's I right. Yeah. Yeah, me and the missus were getting out of were getting out of our car, and next minute these taxis were pulling up in front of us, and there was I was like Harry Gelrich, and I'm like, what's <laughs> going on here? And sure enough, there's Enrique. We didn't even know he'd gone to Adelaide. We knew he'd left oh, the yeah. club, but this was days later. So anyway, we're going over. I was talking with them and saying hello, and then yeah, months later, poor Jordan Elsie did his ACL, mm-hmm. um, and they needed a replacement. So at the time, my wife was pregnant with our first child, and you know, you leave Newcastle where it's your home club, but reality was Newcastle Jets were still at the bottom at that stage. Um, and, and Adelaide have just won the championship. Their season started, they're struggling a bit. Um, and the, they dangle the carrot of Asian Champions League um, in front of you. It was, it was a no-brainer. So, yeah, I jumped on the next flight. Actually, I didn't go on the next flight. I went into the management's office here in Malaysia they didn't want me to go. I tried to not burn a bridge, but in the end, I basically torched it. Um, and I left. Uh, and wow. Yeah, that, that was it. The rest is history. Um, so can I just take you back a little bit? So was it really looking that ominous for you? Because, I mean, you would have only been, correct me if I'm wrong, but 26, 27 at the, at the oldest when uh, you were suddenly weighing up your career. I mean, it seems extraordinary given, uh, you know, you'd been on the books of the Jets for five years. Yeah, it's one of those ones, you know, you, you get the PFA and you get the the people come in and say to you, you know, you've got to think about life after football, you know, what are you going to do, blah, blah, blah. But but you don't, you know, you, you keep, oh, I'll be right, I'll, something will pop up, I'll be right, you know. And then 
you know, I've always got options, you know, I'm playing regularly in the A-League, of course I'm going to get a contract in Thailand or Malaysia or Indonesia, if it's going to happen. But reality is, and, and I hope some people actually listen to this that are still playing A-League, that a lot of it's politics. You've got to know the right agent. You've got to know the right person to get a deal, you know, like I'm, I'm not the most talented centre-back, but, but there's centre-backs in the A-League that would kill to have the contract that I have, mm-hmm. no doubt. Um, but reality is I'm here because I knew people and I've been here before and, and it's not easy to survive over here. You know, you have to deal with these things, um, you know. And so at the age of 26, I think I was, when I got married and was out of a contract, yeah, it was tough. I was I was, I was, was very, very close to to hanging them up. I was probably going to play MPL in Newcastle. Um, there was right. a club around the corner that probably would have paid five or $600. I would have got a job. I might have, I might have boxed, um, you know, to make some extra money or or whatever. Um, yeah, so I had decisions to make, but but in the end, I was lucky enough to get an option to sort of revive it, and and you know, I took it, and and I, and I still see that now, you know, I, I still see like players in bottom teams that play people think are crap. I remember when I arrived in Adelaide, oh, I copped some shit. Oh, God, what are we selling him for? He's fucking hopeless and all this. Why who? Stuff. And, who was you know, saying that? Hey, Every, every, but but that's fine, you know. That's that's everyone's entitled to an opinion. But I still remember reading some stuff, you know. And everyone still writes that recycled rubbish. They love the old recycle emoji on the. It's true, yeah, yeah, and um, you know, and 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 players read that. Like, really, I don't know if fans know it or not, but we all read it, you know. And, and some people take it with a grain of salt and just yeah, you know, and and others take it to heart. But I remember thinking, you know, like it actually kind of is true. Like I've come from the bottom team where we've caught goals and now I'm, you know, Bill McGowan and Yakupola Rocker have just won the league and I'm trying to fight for a spot. And sure enough, I ended up getting it towards the end of the year next to Dylan. Um, but, but reality was, you know, you come from a bottom team and you doubt yourself, but when you actually get around a better players and in a better environment, you, you know, the difference isn't huge. And that's the same with NPL players. Now, Matt Halliday, at Adelaide Olympic, I've watched yeah. him play plenty of times. He can play. Yeah, he could. He could. He could. He could be in an A League setup. Would he play at Adelaide right now? No, no. He's not better than Elsie. He's not better than Jakobsen. But he could be in the squad, no doubt. Um, Nick Booko, um, Dan Mullins there now. Obviously, even Alex Mullins. Alex Mullins quality. You know that these players. Um, you know they can they can play A League. The, the difference isn't huge. It's just about getting a chance. Um, so yeah, I was very close to stepping backwards to the NPL, but I'm very fortunate and very grateful to get an opportunity. It's just mad how fine the line is. I mean, and, and you know, we fast forward to now where you're captaining a club there in front of 70-odd thousand. I mean, it's just, it's insane really when uh, when you isolate it like that. But uh, Reeves, thank God you didn't do what you were uh, saying you might have done and uh, kept on. And uh, you found yourself at Adelaide, as you've touched on now. Here's what you said when you arrived at the club. This is a massive opportunity for me and for my family to come to Adelaide. It's a lovely city with lovely people. The boys are nice, and I've felt welcome from the start with the guys, which is always good. I knew a few of the boys from my time with the Newcastle Jets, but also with my previous club in Malaysia, where I played with Enrique for a little while. Adelaide was always a tough place to go when I was playing in the A-League previously, and it's known around the league as one of the best pitches to play on. The fans are always very vocal, and the support is great, which I'm looking forward to being a part of. Now, um, You've gone into it a little bit, but just, uh, I guess, uh, if you can go into a bit more detail about how the move exactly came up. Um, and, 
you came in at a pretty strange time. I mean, as you mentioned, we had just won the double and, uh, you know, the weight was lifted off the club. Uh, but a difficult start to the following season. Uh, and then you find yourself uh, at the club. Um, yeah, how, what were your initial uh, sort of, um, you know, memories that you've got from from that time when you first walked in? An exodus of players from the championship year and, um, yeah, just, just a bit of a strange time overall, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I remember I, I flew back from Malaysia. I flew to Newcastle. Um, my wife was there. She was heavily pregnant. She was at about 36 weeks at the time. Um, I flew there because the season had just started, was just starting and Newcastle were playing Adelaide in Newcastle. So I went to the game. After the game... Um, this Adelaide is round won. one. No, round one. They drew, actually. I think yeah. it was 1-1. One, one. I think Jesse Macaroonis. He sure. did, indeed. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe I remember that. Killer shit. memory. Um, anyway... I went the next morning. Um, I went to the hotel and met with Ante Kovacevic. Greg Griffin was there, and I met with Yemo Moore, um, and you know, and, and we discussed. And I'd already agreed in principle. Um, mm. It was just a matter of signing a contract. So I met them, everything like that. Um, and they were leaving that day. I said I'd be there in a couple of days. Um, I packed up and I and I flew there. I signed the contract, started training for about a week and a half. Um, and the wife called and the baby was coming. So I left wow. again. Um, yeah, and I left again. I arrived in the morning. We gave birth that evening. Um, the first child, Bodhi. And then I stayed for five days. Um, it got to a point, and Amor was such a gentleman. Like, he, he is honestly the most, the nicest, most humble man you ever meet. A lot um, of people I, say yeah, that. I remember, I remember it, I'd been gone for like, like all the boys and even the coaching staff, everyone was messaging me saying congratulations, everything. And I remember I'd been gone for five or six days or something and I thought, I've got to go back. I messaged the coach and I was like, mate, um, sorry, I haven't spoken to you the last couple of days, been crazy, I'll be there soon. And he's like, take your time, you know, thank you, Lord, whatever he said. <laughs> it's your first baby, you can stay for a couple of weeks if you want to. <laughs> just signed a contract. I better go back. So I went back and whatever. And I, it was it was a good time. Um, but at the same time, it was tough. But but I think that's when, you know, when you see the true character of players, when it gets tough, you know. And, and it was a fair bit of a clean out at the end of that season. Um, and, you know, and the emergence of some good young kids, you know. if I think if there wasn't that tough period, you wouldn't have seen Riley McGree, Jordan O'Doherty, Nikola Maluznic. I don't think these players would have got the opportunity had, you know, Fidio and um, Karulska and these players continued the form or, or not got injured. You know, they got injured as well and everything like that. So, yeah, it was it was interesting times. But, um, yeah, the Champions League campaign was, was enjoyable and things like that. And I think I played a few okay games. We, we were on the bottom, but then we slowly went up the table a couple of one or two spots initially. And then I... Yeah, I negotiated myself with a new contract um, with Ante, um, which no doubt we will get into at some point when we talk about the transfer clause that I negotiated. Um, and yeah, um, yeah, but I really enjoyed it. I re-signed for two years, and, and honestly, if my family wasn't from Newcastle and everyone wasn't there, I'd happily live in Adelaide for the rest of my life. We we loved it. We really did. That's a glowing reference for our city, mate. Um, I've got to ask, what was it like switching from uh, a more to curse as someone that plays in such a key position where philosophy on the game should be played uh, with ball possession, uh, determining so many factors. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's it's 
playing as a centre half, it, it it really means a lot to uh, go from one completely different philosophy to another. Um, how did that sort of come about for you? Yeah, look, um, Amor again. Amor was just such a. He was just a. You know, I don't know. I don't know how even this season they won it. You know, from what I've heard, he he did. The boys ran a lot of it. Not not ran a lot. He still implemented his philosophy, but they mm. still they had a large input. You know, he he was just such a gentle giant. He was an he was an absolute. He was too nice to be a coach. Honestly, he, he wow. was just he's too nice. Um, but but it was just it was so relaxed. You know, training was fun. It was come in, muck around. Okay, you know, done. You know, show up to the game, feel fresh have energy, keep the ball. If you win, you win. If you don't win, you don't win. I remember it was one game, I, can't, I think it was Perth Glory, but I came in, we came in at half time. I don't think I debuted yet. And we were down 3-0. We were getting, getting better. My went 2-0. We came in and I remember sitting there and he said, okay, uh, he's not good. He's not good. Uh, he's not good, but he's okay. He's okay. We just, we not score. We not arrive, but He's okay, you know, he's okay. He's got football, you know, he's okay. I'm thinking, what is this? Like, we just got battered. It could be, it, we could be getting killed, you know, Dylan McGowan throwing boots across the change room. Holy shit. Like, it was just, I was like, what is happening here? But but it was so enjoyable, you know, it was a good group. Um, what an impersonation, by the way. Far out. <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was very bad. But yeah, and then, and then Kurz comes in and it was just, you know, full 360, like. Like you said, he he was still he really liked football. He wanted you to play things like that, but it was, he was very gem. He was very regimented. Um, everything we did was very disciplined, but but it was good. Like um, you know, I I got a lot of time for Marco because he he can coach. He really can coach. Um, you know, it was disappointing to see him leave Adelaide. Um, yeah, he he obviously ruffled some feathers within. You know, within the roots of the club, um, there's no doubt about that. I think everyone would happily admit that. Um, and, and you know, he, he had his favourites in the change room, and you know, he had arguments with players, which, but that's all part of it, you know. But, but he ran a good ship. You know, Adelaide United under Marco Kurz was never a team that any, and no one wanted to play Adelaide United when Marco Kurz was the coach because there was, you know, you knew they would never give up. They'll run, they'll run until the last minute, and they'll fight. Um, and you know, it was enjoyable, but but it was hard work. I've never yeah. been so fit, that's for sure. Wow. Um, just before, we're going to get more into the whole curse saga, but just just before we get into any of that, it would be remiss of me not to bring it up. Uh, the uh, the Mitch Austin episode in the FFA Cup. Um, now, yeah. it became a bit of a meme. It's an iconic moment for everyone here in Adelaide. Um, there's there's yeah. something that's going to be coming out about it uh, on this show that I've uh, done a little edit by the time. Look, oh, here we go. Um, <laughs> I mean, what what a killer moment it was. I mean, I don't, I don't want to dig the hills into Mitch Austin because, you know, I'm sure it affected him. But um, you did nothing wrong and, uh, you know, he just came off worse. But um, in the moment, did you did you think anything of it? I mean, because it still gets talked about a lot today. Yeah, look, I knew I knew when I, when I hit him that it was good. Um, yeah, I guess he's quick. You know, he's real quick. And yeah. I remember he took that touch down the line and, and he was coming and, we had numbers, so if he beat me, I knew Elsie was behind me to sort of come across and cover. And he took that heavy touch and looked down, and I thought, as he as he looked down, I was thinking, he doesn't even know I'm coming. Anyway, and then he looked up last minute. I, yeah, I got him. I got him good. It was it was 
you know, I got the ball at the same time, but I knew there was going to be contact. So I was braced for it and he wasn't. And credit to him, he got up. Like, he got up and played on and, and you know, plenty wouldn't have. Um, mm. so, so credit to him for doing that. But, yeah, it was, you know, it would have been nice if it was Bess or someone like that. Or <laughs> but, yeah, look, I, um, I got a few, like, abusive tweets off his mum and his sister and things like that. <laughs> Actual. Yeah. Um, just call me a grub and things like that. But again, you know, I think I think overall most people knew it was, you know, it, it wasn't a foul, but at the same time, I knew the contact was coming. So, yeah. you know, I didn't pull out and I was happy to hit him. Um, he just had to look up a bit earlier and maybe he might have moved or something. I don't know. But, yeah, it was good. It, I've, I haven't done much in my career. You said stellar earlier and I certainly haven't had a stellar career, but... but that's the one thing I wouldn't that, agree with that. that I will be. Yeah, but that's the one moment that I will be remembered for. I've got no doubt about it. I still go to the local pubs in Newcastle and all the boys and my dad's mates and that always say, oh, fuck that, that tackle, that is. So, yeah, that's going to be Taylor Egan, I dare say. And, and I'm happy with that. I'm happy with Mate, that. There's no reason not to be proud of it. It was an absolute killer of a hit. Um, you yeah. certainly brought him down better than anyone could have. Um, so, look, we're going to switch tact again. So, uh, you know, sadly, you ended up departing the club quite suddenly. I don't think anyone on the outside expected it at all, even though uh, you weren't playing as often as you would have liked to have been at this point in time. This is uh, the end of 2018 yeah. now that we're talking. Um, so you paid your own contract out, which, um, you know, I might be wrong, but I swear it doesn't often happen in the game, or if it does, we certainly don't hear a lot about it. Um, and then following that... Uh, Shortly after, you sent out a tweet which uh, fueled the fire of the infamous uh, Marco Kurz in versus Marco Kurz out debate that happened in Adelaide. Uh, a lot was going on at this point because uh, Marco came out not long uh, after you'd left and said the club hasn't tabled me a contract for next year. Uh, anyway, I'm sure you know the story. But yeah. Uh, yeah. a lot of people who are not privy to what was going on behind closed doors uh, were without any question absolutely outraged, and then you sent out a tweet um, which was saying, uh, "I can't, I can't, I'm, you know, I'm not quoting you exactly. I can't remember exactly what you said, but it was along the lines of, uh, I can understand why people are uh, outraged with the news of Marco Kerr's not being given a new contract, but uh, there's sort of more to meets the eye, or you worded it in one of those kinds of ways. Um, yeah. But you've just gone on to endorse Marco Kerr's in this interview. So I mean, what exactly was your position on the coach? Because I know it's hard to love a coach when he's not playing you. But, I mean, you know, yeah. there's two sides to this story, I'm guessing. I mean, what, what exactly went on? Because the tweet uh, had a lot of people talking. It was in all the forums. Uh, it was retweeted so much. And um, a lot of people just weren't sure with what, what was going on with Michael Kerr. So, yeah, the floor's yours, Reeks. Yeah. <laughs> You've opened it up there. You've basically thrown me a shovel and said, dig your own great mark. <laughs> Look, um... Like I said, I, I, I respect Marco as a coach. You know, I've said, I've said that the whole time. And I think that's why I, I said in that, you know, I can understand why the fans, you know, would be upset because reality was Adelaide United under Marco Kerr's were a good side, mm -hmm. you know, and it was something that, you know, it was a, a building block for, for the club, you know, after the season 2016, 17 to then go on, you know, make the final of the FFA Cup, do yep. well. I think we lost in extra time against Melbourne Victory in the semis and then go won the cup the next year. Um, you know, for him to leave it was weird. Um, but reality was that Marco Marco can coach, 
Marco's people skills weren't the best, you know, and 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 that was my biggest thing with him was that um, me and him, I think, you know, we had a lot of disagreements. I remember one one session, national team, young national team was away or something like that. So Blackwood was away, Apostolos Damatopoulos was away, and Bubba had just come back from injury, and I was on the second eleven, which I wasn't happy about. So I belted Bubba. And he yelled, and Kurz has just abused me in German and just absolutely gave it to me. So, so we've had a screaming match at Cooper Stadium, things like that. So, but it was more, my issue with him was more the communication. Look, I stand by what I said about Marco Kurz. You know, he, he's a good coach, a very good coach. And I believe Adelaide United were on the right track with Marco Kurz. Um, and I think that's why I kind of said in that tweet, you know, I can understand why the fans are upset, things like that. But I think, Overall, Marco, Marco, you know, he he had to understand Australian football too, and and you know, and he and he he upset a lot of people. Like sometimes a media guy, like some media outlets, would come to training, and and he would see them there, and and you know, this might, yeah, again, anyway, I'll just say, it. he he would see the media at training, and he would say nothing, and then all of a sudden, the media representative from Adelaide United would come. And he would wait until somebody was around and he would abuse our media officer for not informing him that media were coming or whatever. And it was just, it was a show of power. You know, it was a show of, you know, he just wanted to make sure everyone saw that he was the boss or that he had this, you know, he was so tough. But reality was he could have done it behind backs, but but he did it just so that everyone saw it. And and just little things like that. Like, you know, these are ki- these are Adelaide people. You know, these are, these are boys that, you know, like, you know, your mate Will Cut, um, Jordan Trombetta, these, these are Adelaide United fans who have a job with Adelaide United that come and give their all for the club that have got friends and family and then all of a sudden Marco Kurz is abusing them in front of all the players and just little things like that. You, you have to know how to treat people, you know, I think. And that's, you know, and that's where I fell through with him a little bit. I, you know, I, I upset him one day at training when I, when I kicked a player in his starting eleven. Um, but reality was I wanted to be in that starting eleven. You know, we 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 were down two 0 against Central Coast. Person Gulen got sent off. Um, I came on and we we drew two two with ten men. Uh, the following week we were we beat Newcastle or something like that. And and the following week after that I'm dropped and it's like well hang on. Then there's no communication. You know, there's no he doesn't tell me um, or anything. We just show up to training and Taylor you're on the second team and. You know, Urson's back in the starting team, and 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 that then creates tension within the group because I'm I'm upset with why I'm not playing, and then you know naturally I you know how am I going to prove that I should be playing? Well, I have to train hard. So what do I do? I have to win. So yeah. winning for me is is winning. You know, physically as well. So you know, and then then I look bad. At, you know, if, if I'm a striker in the starting eleven, you don't want to be playing against Taylor at training because he's going to try and belt me. And but that's the only thing I can do. I can't do anything. I have to win. So, you know, it just. But if he spoke to me at the start of the week and said, Taylor, you know, Elsie's my right side centre back, and and Elsie is brilliant, um, and played brilliant that season. You know, but I want to play Gullum on the left because he's left footed or whatever. You know, just talk to me and be a man. You know, and that's why me and him sort of fell fell out a little bit here and there. But again, as if as soon as you're on the pitch. You know, total respect for the guy. He he can coach and he's a good coach. And yeah, I'm glad he failed a victory though, because I didn't want either of them to do well there. 
Wow, Reeds, I don't, I don't even know what to do about all that. You've just unpacked um, two years of, of innuendos and, oh, wow. Um, yeah, huge. But, 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 that is, but again, that is the thing, you know. As, as a fan and everything, you, you, you see the package on game day, you know, and, and that's fine. That, that is, that's every facet of life. That's every business, you know. Um, and, and as a fan of Adelaide United, I would, I would feel hard done by for getting rid of Kurz too, you yeah. know, I agree. You know, he shouldn't have gone. Um, but, but if you're inside and you see that other side of him, you know, and and the fact that I then got to step out and again, no holes barred, you know, I'll say what I wanted to say. Um, so that's why I sent that tweet, and I knew it would get people talking because, you know, of course it was a little bit controversial. Like, oh wow, why, you know? So yeah. Anyway. Wow, mate. No, that's 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 gripping stuff I, I can't believe some of that but um it is what it is look i'm glad you brought up will cuts because um i was at the archibald watching a, a certain game away to wellington which we won and uh curse brought you on and played you at six and cuts and i both <laughs> cuts and i both sort of looked at each other and i said is he ever played at six and cuts he's like i don't think he's ever been coached how to play at six marco just threw him on so is that is that true I played, I played a few times as a defensive midfielder at the Jets, actually, in the A-League, um, under Van Egmont. And, and as a kid, I always played as a defensive midfielder. Um, so once again, Cutsy's wrong. Cutsy's always wrong. That's <laughs> okay. the only thing Kurz was right about. Cutsy's always wrong. Um, but, uh, look, Cutsy's a good guy. For someone that sunbakes on the moon, um, he's a good guy. He's got the worst, worst skin in Adelaide. He actually <laughs> likes winter more than he likes summer. The Fringe Festival's never never needed anyone with so much sunscreen. So. <laughs> yeah, real cut. Far out, that's amazing. <laughs> what bets? That's crazy. Um, <laughs> anyway, we'll move on, mate. Um, so, successes in Malaysia uh, since early last year and now being appointed the captain. Um, yep. You know, tell us how it's been. I mean, obviously, you've been there before, but uh, it's gone very, very well for you. Uh, you know, I'm... Sure, that's the case. Um, just run through it again for us. I mean, you know, did you expect it to, to go as well as it has been? Um, no, not really. Um, you know, I arrived here with knowing that Selangor had had a bad couple of years. Um, the last trophy they had was in 2015 where Robbie Cornflake um, played for the club. Good friend um, of this show. The trophy. Yep. Um, and Robbie's a legend of the club here. Um, you know, the fans really like him and for what he did and everything like that. But but again, Southeast Asia's a bit tricky. You know, it's a little bit political. Um, like, for instance, the season that Robbie won the Malaysian Cup here with an Australian coach, Mehmet Jurakovic, Mehmet got the sack after that final and Robbie also got told he was no longer wanted. Um, but it wasn't for the fans that basically protested. So he got re-signed and then halfway through the season, they released him again and he went back to West Sydney. So, you know, it's, it's funny how quickly it can change over here and it's not always football decisions. It's often things that happen under the table, so to speak. Um, but now, yeah, it's been refreshing because I've, I've come into the club where new management, uh, there's no corruption. You know, they're, they're straight down the line. Uh, they're, it's a good club. It's very professional. Our facilities are good. Uh, training's excellent. Um, you know, it's really good. I got I got a teammate here that used to play at Sydney FC, uh, Brendan Gann. So he's got a Malaysian passport. He's he plays for the Malaysian national team. So he's in my team and he's a local superstar. Um, 
he was at Sydney FC back in 2010, 11, 12, maybe. Um, and then he came over. Saffron, Barudin played for Melbourne City. Singaporean boy, he's in my side. We, we've got a good side. Uh, Spanish boy that played at Atletico Madrid. Yeah, we've got a good side. So, so it's enjoyable. I really enjoy it. Um, and the fact that I get to wear the armband, I guess that's an added bonus. Um, but again, you know, that doesn't change how an individual plays, I don't think. But yeah, it's, it's an honour. Give us an insight into the dynamics that go on in the dressing room. Is it do the, does everyone try and speak English? I mean, as the captain, it's you know you're at the centre of it all. I mean, what's that like? Uh, yeah, look, they now it's a little bit um, you know foreigners foreigners stick together, um, local players stick together, things like that. Um, everyone can speak enough English to comprehend everything. Um, I also took it upon myself to try and learn the language here. Um, just to you know, to fit in, I guess. You, mm. no, you don't want to be to do. that that yeah, you don't want to be that guy that that, you know, upsets people and doesn't know what they're saying about you or things like that. Um so I, I can understand the language now. I mean I can't speak well, I can speak it, but when they speak it back to me sometimes I'm like fuck did you just say? <laughs> but um yeah, no, I can I can speak all right. So yeah, it, it's not easy at times. Um but but it, it's good. I mean, that's the biggest thing I miss from Australian football is the dressing room. You know, the banter, the boys, the, the camaraderie, Ben Halloran. He, he'll say camaraderie in every interview, Ben Halloran. <laughs> um, but, but that's what you miss most. You yeah. know, the, the group I had at Adelaide was, was the best change room I've ever been in. Um, you know, it was really good. Um, so, yeah, that's the, that's the biggest thing I miss between the two countries, for sure. Wow. Um, again, just so interesting. I'm sure the fans would embrace the fact that you've tried learning as well, uh, the Malaysian language. And, um, you know, it's, it, it definitely rubs off well as the captain. So, uh, props to you for doing that, mate, because it's, uh, you know, it takes a bit of bravery to take on such a different language like that. So, um, you know, I'm sure it'll hold you in good stead. Uh, Riggs, we're nearly at the end. I've got to ask you what the future holds for you. Yeah, your guess is as good as mine. Um, look, my, my contract here expires um, at the end of this season, which is the end of November. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not really sure. Um, I'd love to... Look, I, you know, I'm 31. I'll be 32 at the end of this year. I'm, I'm not young anymore. Not, not overly old for a centre-back in these parts, though. No, that's true. And, and, and I, I look after myself pretty well. Um, you know, if you compare my body to Jordan Elsie's or someone like that, <laughs> uh, or Paul Izzo, Paul Izzo, <laughs> should see him. Uh, if you, you FaceTime in on a Sunday morning after the boys have won on the Saturday night, have a look at his body. It is a disgrace. I might and, have heard a few things um, from the Central Coast days, but anyway, we'll oh, let that slide you. to the keeper. Central, Central Coast, or well, it hasn't changed that much, I'm sure. No. <laughs> um, yeah, look, um, I, I really don't know what's next. Um, I want to stay in football, obviously, for, for a bit longer. Um, mm-hmm. I owe it to my family to be in Newcastle eventually. That's home. Um, so my little fellow will start school in about 16, like primary school, in about 16 months or so. Um, so if I can do another year abroad and make that money again, that'll really set me up, I think, financially. But at the same time, you don't know what's around the corner. I, yeah. When I was halfway through my contract at Negri Sembalan, there's no way I would have told you that I'd be spending two and a half years in Adelaide. Okay. So anything's possible. Um, but, yeah, I mean, a part of me misses Australia and Australian football, uh, but a part of me thinks that, you know, I'm, I'm not getting any younger and 
and to be financially stable, you know, for years to come is, is probably the most important thing as a father and as a husband. You know, I need to I need to look after them before I look after myself. You know, so so a part of me thinks that. Reeks, um, it's been so so fun speaking to you. I've got a few more things to ask. Obviously, um, yep. you sound like the king of banter. So uh, you know, at Adelaide and in other dressing rooms as well. But uh, most interested in about your time at Adelaide. Um, it sounds like Elsie and Izzo were sort of the the central clowns that you hung out with the most. Uh, who, who had the best banter around the club? Um, best banter. Dill McGowan had good banter. Okay. Um, Bill McGowan had good banter. But there's always boys that have got good banter because they're, they're easy targets to pick on. You know, like it was always easy to pick on like Ben Garuccio or, or Ryan Strain or someone like that. Cause they're just, they're just, without football, who knows what Ryan Strain will be. <laughs> honestly. Like he, he would be lucky to get out of Modbury. Like he, he is just, that's just Ryan Strain, you know, but then, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it was it was a good change room, you know. It went, went especially that that season, uh, the second season under Kerr, the one I left, you know, with with Jakobsen and and Isais, you know, Isais and Vinny Leo and these guys. It was just a good, it was a good group. Kenny also, Kenny also was always fun. Well, certainly <laughs> yeah, from like, uh, yeah. Uh, I, mean, I was I was, wait, I was waiting for that. I was just trying to get a bit of a reaction. <laughs> um, yeah, look, it was it was always it was always a good group. Um, so I wouldn't say anyone in particular, but yeah. um, it's a good group of boys for sure. Who'd you, who'd you room with on away days? Um, chopped and changed a bit. Um, mostly, it was Bill McGowan when I was yeah. there in 2016-17. Um, and then, I um, can't really remember, to be honest. It kind of chopped and changed. I did yeah. have someone, but I've just gone absolutely blank. Um, but yeah, it was always. I think I had Isaias a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah. It was. It was always. It always chopped and changed a little bit because I was just a spare dick on the bench. That was whoever was the other bench player. It's unfortunate, yeah. mate, that it went that way. But ah, um, that's all right. it is what it is. You've, uh, you know, it's definitely ended up being a, a good move for you going to Malaysia, and um, you know things have worked out well. Um, now, you know. We've seen the likes of Joel Griffiths go into a youth coaching role at the Jets, I'm pretty certain. So, um, you know, five years perhaps down the line, um, could that be something that is in the water for you? I mean, we'd all love to see it. Um, I, I have a passion for coaching um, and I think I could coach, but, but I don't think... No, I, I don't like the instability of, of professional coaching. Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, if you told me that, I could live in Newcastle and be a professional coach for the rest of my life. I'd say yes, because my wife and my kids have followed me. So, mm. you know, I, I could do that. But the fact is, if the team doesn't do well, you, you're sacked, you know, and, and you have to chase this like I've been chasing football, you know, and, and I can't do that to them anymore. You know, I, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a family man too. So I've got to, I've got to be in Newcastle. So I'm, I'm doing a, a business degree um, through Torrens University. Actually, I've got a scholarship. Um, at Adelaide um, yep. for, to do a university degree. So I'm doing a That's bachelor of business. Um, yeah, so I, I like the football administration side of things. You know, the um, Bruce Jute, uh, Anante Kovacevic, Aurelio Vidmar did it, obviously. You know, that sort of a role in, in the admin um, in terms of like football operations and trying to make sure the club, you know, survives and, and can be profitable. Um, mm. 
I think it's a disgrace, in all honesty. And again, I, it's partly the FFA's fault, but but how can COVID, how can eight clubs all of a sudden declare that they can't pay salaries for two or three months? Like, how, did, how is there no money for a rainy day with a, with a professional organisation where you take good money off the fans to be yeah. sponsors, you know? And, and I understand, you know, the, the expenses associated with, you know, stadium costs and things like that. But, but reality is you, to have to put professional players on job seeker, uh, for me, that's embarrassing, you know, and, it, and it's, a, it's, a, it's just a, an easy way out for clubs to just say, oh, well, we'll save money and put you on there, you know. For me, that's, a, that's an absolute cop-out. So, you know, I'd like to be involved in football in some way to try and to, to build it to be more professional and more sustainable. So much to go through there, Riggs. I mean, it's uh, it's really interesting. It could go anywhere for you, but uh, I'm sure yeah. you could cut it in the media or as a football agent. You seem to uh, know how radio, they run. Radio, maybe. No, but not at all, mate. I don't know about media. <laughs> uh, you're a good-looking rooster, mate, and uh, you, you talk the talk, and uh, I can't believe how well you've thrown some of the guys under the bus. Um, Riggs, it's been an absolute privilege, mate. I've had so much fun interviewing you. Definitely one of the... Funniest, most open, honest interviews we've ever had on the show. And uh, it's a real shame that you're not here anymore because um, I'd love to just grab a beer with you. But, um, you know, it is what it is. Uh, it's great to hear how much you uh, enjoyed your time when you were here. Hopefully, uh, you know, you'll come back in some capacity, whether it's uh, for an extended holiday or whatever, sometime down the line when uh, COVID goes away. But, mate, um, we wish you all the very best for the resumption or the start, I should say, of the Malaysian League coming up and everything else that your future holds. Um, an absolute fantastic personality of the game in Australia and um, one of the iconic players of the A-League, mate. It's, uh, it's been awesome touching base with you for a, a good hour and um, unpacking so much, mate. Um, all the best, Taylor, and thanks so much for coming on. No, I appreciate having me and uh, I hope that, you know, the boys can get in the finals and do something special. And, yeah, thanks for the support. And I'll oh, miss Adelaide. No, no doubt I'll be down there at some point. I think plenty of... Plenty of stories to to make again in Peel Street or Hindley Street or somewhere there. So Wicked I'll be stuff. around, mate. But yeah, all good. Thanks awesome, Rings. We'll chat soon. No, Thanks absolutely soon. great. Hopefully, we can get you on for a second time, mate. Um, stay safe and yeah, all the best good, for the rest of your season. Thanks, mate. All the best. Cheers.